it's my privilege this morning to talk about the tongue. What a positive topic. But it is a positive topic because, uh, as you know, we can be so used and we can be such a blessing to other people simply by how we speak to others, right? And so we're going to be looking at James chapter 3 as we look at this topic today. Now the series that we're looking at, the book of James, uh, Dana has called it wisely that it's the New Testament book of Proverbs. Lots of pithy little statements. And it's written by James, and guess who he grew up with? His brother was the Lord Jesus. Now imagine having Jesus as your sibling. It would have been quite an experience. And I think James, when he finally uh, came to faith at some point, probably after Jesus' death and resurrection, he became a prominent pillar in the church. And uh, when the Holy Spirit led him to write his book, I think what he did was actually incorporated into this book the very character of his brother, who he had lived with, who he had watched, and then found out, of course, in his own experience, the true power of the new life in Christ. And so he writes not so much with deep theological concepts, but he writes very practically, and he's sort of saying all through the book, I want you to be like my brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is what it looks like in practical terms. So he was the one who said, of course, and tried to balance out the great truth in the gospel that grace always needs the balance of the discipline of the new life. Faith without is dead. And that was just a very important balance that James felt had to be brought out. So Dana covered... Uh, First of all, the place of trials in our life, how God uses the difficult experiences, doesn't exempt us from them, but works through them to mold us and make us into something more like him. And then secondly, she talked about materialism, wealth and money, possessions, and how that again is to be a tool to be used in our, our lives with others. And then today, it is our tongue, which is the gateway. It's the gate or the door that lets people see what we're actually really like. Because it's our words which give expression to everything we are. So very powerful. Now, the natural way of thinking is that we put tremendous emphasis 
on behavior. Now, some of you especially remember this uh, when you were raised in the church and the churches years ago in my time. So much emphasis was on where you went, who you were with, what you did, and there was a great big long secret list. But if you broke it, you knew you were in for trouble, right? You were at the wrong place at the right time, whatever. Uh, behavior was, was looked upon often as, as, as just fulfilling, almost like the scribes and Pharisees, a whole bunch of little rules. And I remember quite well as a young person, and we had a new pastoral couple that were in their middle age, middle age and, of course, if you know me a bit, I don't know if you'd say I'm blessed with a sense of humor. But I have a sense of humor, and, of course, it was very active in my teens. And so all of us were outside the church door this one Sunday, and we all had Groucho Marx glasses on, you know, with the big eyebrows and the great big nose. And we're having a whale of a time. And, of course, uh, the pastor's wife saw us out there and just gave us a royal bawling out. You know, how dare we do this kind of a thing on Sunday outside the church? You know, and of course those things stick with you because you're trying to trying to figure out what did we really do wrong? Like, and yet you still feel her blazing words, eh? To this day I can hear them. <laughs> But I was a big enough boy to handle it, I think. So that's good. But, but so uh, we remember those things and we remember the emphasis put on behavior. And James is trying to balance this out. Yeah, behavior is import, important. But notice James deals with a whole pile of attitudes more than it does behavior. Attitudes. And particular, we show attitude through what we speak and how we speak it. You don't have to be a foul-mouthed mind worker. Uh, you know, that's not what James is really talking about. It's really how we look at people and respect them through our language. You know, I, I've been, and you have experienced a lot of hurt through words, and no, and no swear words were used. But boy, you felt belittled and broken, right? Just by the way it came. And so James wants us to reevaluate and put tremendous stress upon the way we speak. And of course, the important thing about that. It's not just something we learn. It's, it's a grace that's got to work in us so that it just, it just naturally flows that we're created. Now, I'm going to read the text. So it's, it's James chapter 3, verse 1, if you want to follow in your Bibles. James 3, 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter evaluation for we all stumble in many things if anyone does not stumble in word he is a perfect man also able to bridle the whole body so I got a piece of paper at the back there 
And if, if you're that perfect guy, I want you to put your name on that list, okay? <laughs> no, there's no list there. But it just makes us think, you know. He says, this is the perfect person. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how a great forest, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire itself by hell for every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless God our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt and fresh water. Now, all of you being uh, believers and have been part of church for quite a while, you're all aware of, of what we call the doctrine of the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, that is, disobeyed God's direction, it said, in the day that you eat, you will surely die. Now, we notice in Scripture, they didn't drop dead. They didn't drop dead the moment they ate, but they died. Something died. And their nature was, their inner being was separated from the life of God. And uh, the fall affected them in such a way that every part of our being became tainted by the experience of the fall. And it's inherited. Remember King David rehearsing the terrible experience and behavior he had exhibited in adultery and murder in his great classic 51st Psalm, said, In sin did my mother conceive me. Now, she didn't mean by a sinful act. She meant in my very birth I inherited this fallen nature. And nowhere do we see it clearer than in people's use of the tongue. When Paul, the great, the great uh, author of the epistles and founder of many churches, wrote Romans, and he was talking about the effect of the fall, and he said, all have sinned and fall short of the kingdom of God in chapter 3. One place there where he says, our, our, our throat is like an open graveyard. Now, I want you to just think for a moment. 
maybe your experience even this last week of you as you milled around the world out there, you know, the, the world of people as they are. And when you listen to people talk, it is literally unbelievable what people say and how they say it and, and what they say about people to people and so on, right? Like it is literally an open graveyard. It, it is, it's rottenness. And uh, that's the world we, we were brought up in, live in. Many of us have been deeply affected by, you know, by abusive uh, uh, words toward us. And so we need to remember that it is a great evidence of the fall. And thus, when we become Christians, we, we realize that wonderful new process where the Holy Spirit begins to mold us and make us over again into the image of Christ, his son. And probably one of the greatest evidences is, is the use of the words we say. And particularly, what they do is they reveal our attitudes and motives. And so very powerful. So if you turn with me to Matthew, when Jesus was talking to the very religious elite of his day, these were the shakers and movers. These were the pillars of the synagogue, of the temple the scribes, Pharisees, and, and lawyers, which were the people that interpreted the Old Testament. As he's speaking to them, he says in verse 10, Hear and understand. So, just, so he's calling our attention, right? Listen to this. <laughs> he says, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man. Now you remember what he's talking about. Are all of the rules about, uh, about ceremonial cleanness had to do with all the washings and particularly the food you ate. And so, uh, you know, you're not supposed to sit down and have pork with a friend, right? Because you've just defiled yourself. I mean, that was a Jewish law. Jesus suddenly says, that doesn't defile you. What defiles you is what comes out of the mouth. That defiles a man. And then verse 16, are you still without understanding? Do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile the man. So there you have our Lord Jesus very succinctly describing the effect of the fall. And you've got to look at this group of people. They've got their lives in perfect religious order. And yet when Jesus looks at them, he says, All I see coming out of your mouths is total disrespect, judgment, censoriousness, and all of those kind of things. I don't see grace, and I don't see the life of God. But they had all of their ducks in a row, <laughs> but they betrayed it 
in how they talk, particularly when they're in their holy huddles behind closed doors. Remember, the most graphic is, what are we going to do with this guy, Jesus? And remember, the words were hate, and we got to kill him. Now, those are from the religious elite, not seeking to understand the movement of God at all. And so it's a reminder, isn't it? And, uh, and so James is just saying that little tongue we have, what an instrument it is. He says it's a powerful instrument. Either it's that life-giving fresh water or it's that salt water that's like drinking brine, right? Not too, not too nice. So he says each of us got to think this through and realize how do we, how do we want to manifest the life of God? The greatest way is in our speech. Now, Rosalita and I, and uh, oh, she even stayed to hear me twice. I can't believe it. Imagine that. You better give her a star. She decided to listen to me twice. <laughs> Rosalita and I in our lives, uh, being married, you know, discovering the whole process of living with someone, both believers, but realized soon in our marriage that we're carrying baggage. That's not news to anybody, is it, that we carry baggage? And largely the baggage was the effect, particularly that our parents had on us, and a lot of it was verbal, particularly for Rosvita, whose father, you know, because of probably all the junk in his background, it's cyclical, he was just passing on, but she grew up never really understanding, even as a kid, that she was loved by her dad, but it was always, you're not good enough, you're not making it, you're a failure, you know, and when you grow up with that and then you come into a new relationship, each of us were carrying stuff like that, and part of the great work of God in our lives was to deliver us from that and then help us replace it with our kids so we brought them up with blessing, you know, that we brought them up with that good, solid feedback that they're, that they're respected and loved and valuable. And, and, yeah, they're growing, but not to step on them. We trust them. And that was a great learning experience. And guess what? We're still learning. We're still learning, aren't we? And so much of that is verbal. You know, I remember in grade three, and any of you remember grade three that are my age? Well, why I remember grade three is I had a lady teacher who had a mouth this big. And back then, you know, the whole thing of abuse wasn't even talked about. But that lady, you know, it reminds me of some of the cartoons you see of Charlie Brown. And, you know, some of the teachers, you know, you just hear this big. But I'll never forget this, this one day in class. We had this cutest little girl, just the slightest little thing, you know, like a, like a little snowdrop of a person. And I guess she did something wrong in class. I don't know how a girl like her could ever have done anything wrong. 
but she sure ticked the teacher off. And right in class, she got absolutely destroyed verbally, and she stood there shaking, and she peed herself, and there was this huge puddle on the floor. Now, I remember that to this moment as if it just happened. Now, can you remember, can you imagine what she went home with and her experience and what that did? Now, that's an extreme example, but it shows that the teacher never used one swear word, not one, but malicious and destructive. Yeah, the power of the voice, the power of the word. And so we're reminded, aren't we, that that we each have this gift of bringing blessing to our family, blessing to people we know simply by the way we speak or decide it's not the time to speak. <laughs> and it was properly brought up to me uh, after the service, and I think we got more time in this service, so I'll share it. But what about the times like Jesus when he said about Herod, that old fox? Well, isn't that using misusing your words? Well, the truth is, Herod was a fox. <laughs> and he lived it out. And Jesus was not saying this from anything personal. That's the important thing. He was not retaliating. He was not attacking back. He was simply saying, he acts like a fox. He is a fox. <laughs> and what about the scribes and Pharisees? Have you ever called a person a whitewashed sepulcher? Have you ever done that? Have you ever called a guy, you're nothing but an open grave? Well, you'd think, boy. But again, it didn't have that personal element of, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And see, that this is what we got to differentiate. Jesus, or James is talking about when it comes from those attitudes of jealousy, revenge, retaliation, those kind of things. And that's when we begin hurting back. Remember, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. So when I'm personally insulted... I just walk away from it. But if you attack my wife, watch out. Right? Or attack my kids. Or if you touch some other kid in my presence, I'm not going to walk away and turn the other cheek. That's a whole different thing. One is personal insult. The other is justice. And we need to be those that defend the widow and the orphan, right? And that often means... We have to stand up for them. So we, we've got to kind of balance this. And what Jesus, what James is getting at, of course, is, is when it's, it's when it's coming from that heart, the heart that has not been renewed by the Spirit and then becomes a dangerous weapon of retaliation, revenge, and hurt, belittlement, and so on. Now, some of you notice know a young lady here called Becky, Becky Kuhn, I think some of you might know. Do you know she used to be a pastor? Yeah, some of you know that. Now, Becky is one of the gals that I got to know long before I moved here. Rosalina and I met her through the Mimi Brendan uh, Shire. 
<laughs> and she soon showed up in the Shire. And so we got to know her, right, Becky? Yeah, so Becky's going to share a little bit about back when she was a pastor and uh, doing that type of work in her life, uh, the power and the effect of how people speak, even in the church, right? That's right. <laughs> so I was telling, Bill came and had coffee with me yesterday. Well, backtrack. Dana asked me <laughs> if I'll come up here and talk on taming the tongue. And I literally texted her back and I said, you do know me, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the right person. And she's like, no, you're the right person. I said, okay, fine, I'll go up. And then so as it's percolating, you know, over the week in my brain, when I hear taming my tongue, the first thing I think about is swearing, right? Watching your mouth, being polite, those, those little pieces, right? But as it percolated in my brain all week, I'm like, oh, there's so much more to what taming your tongue means, right? And then Bill and I had coffee, and he's like, what was it like as a pastor when you were pastoring? What did you see in the effects of the tongue when you were pastoring? So I was a youth pastor up in Fort Nelson, and the story that came to my mind, and I think it's convenient today because our pastor and our leadership team is not here. And so this is the story that came to my mind was I had a dear friend, and he's still a dear friend. We went to Bible college together, and he was serving on the board of our church during a really difficult time. And I believe that the words from people, both in the congregation, some out of, but many in the congregation, um, impacted him to a point where I haven't seen him in church in about 15 years. I believe he still loves and knows God and that, but his, the hurt went so deep from the words that people said. You may disagree, and that's okay, but that was my perspective. The words that we speak to one another, but to our leadership team and our pastors, impacts. Whether we say nothing instead of encouraging, that impacts. If they never hear encouragement, they never hear, you know, even though that didn't work out, we appreciated that you tried or whatever positive words we can speak into their lives or correction in a really loving, caring, one-on-one way, not gossip, right, that that impacts them. So that was my biggest experience was the words that we say to our pastors, to our leadership team, to our Sunday school teachers, that, that, that those matter and how we speak to one another really matters and it can impact for a really long time which impacts their children, right? My friend's children didn't go to church all the time because their dad was hurt by somebody's words, right? Well, he needs to take some accountability for that for sure and heal from that. It's still a direct impact from people's words. Right. Yeah, thanks, Becky. Now, the line of work you're in now brings you into a different world, different kinds of abuse, but I share a little bit about the verbal part of that, of some of the the effects of, of that mm-hmm. in people. For sure. So for those of you who don't know, I'm a child protection social worker, uh, team lead. So I work with First Nation children on and off a reserve um, who need social workers in their life. Um, and I deal in sexual and physical abuse on a regular basis and emotional abuse on a regular basis. I know I say that very casually, and for some people that's hard to hear very casually. 
Uh, if I, that, those words trigger you, like feel free to grab me after the service because I recognize those are really big words. Um, and while those things are huge and they take time to heal and get over, it's the emotional abuse um, that seems to have a longer impact. That the words that people say to one another, that the words that people say to their children really cut deep in my experience. Uh, some people will disagree, but in my experience, it's the words that, that when I'm talking to a teenager who's in care, it's the words that were said, that they just have such a hard time healing from and moving on from, that our words impact. Um, when we work with families, we are there, so there's obviously a problem if we're involved in your life. There's something not okay. And we try to take time always to talk about what's working well. So in the midst of the fact that you just had a social worker knock on your door, in the midst of the fact that you're terrified that you might lose your children, right, depending what's going on, that we, we stop and we talk about, in the midst of all of this, what's working well for your family? Because when we can talk and shift the positive, it builds people up. And in the first meetings, a lot of our families can't think of anything positive. And by about the third meeting, over like a month and a half, they come with lists ready. This is what we're doing well. This is what I saw us do good since the last meeting. This is what my kids are doing good. This is what I'm doing well. And we begin to see a shift in a healing in the family. And so talking positive and speaking in a good way about the people around us, even when we're so frustrated and irritated by everything going on, to stop and, and consciously think positive and speak that positivity makes a big change in people's lives. Good. Now, if you have more questions, catch her after. Let's go to Walt. Thanks, Becky. So it was said of the Lord Jesus when he was even heard by unbelievers that his words were gracious or full of grace. And you remember the many, of course, lives he touched just by words. Think of the revolution in so many of the people around them. When you look at each of them, the, the group of women that were in the group, the disciples, and so on and so forth, you realize they were all broke, brought from broken places and yet became the pillars and founders of, of the New Testament church. That we believe in the right kind of revolution. And... Uh, and the greatest evidence of that, according to our Lord and James, is, of course, the way we speak. And uh, often, right away in the, in the workplace, I remember uh, as a young believer, you know, getting a job in a pulp mill and so on and so forth, sawmills, and uh, they often identified the total difference simply by how you spoke. And yet often ended up having good conversations and they're all started because something's profoundly different and uh, so let's pray that that'll be our example so as he says the big thing is uh, not to curse and of course that word really means call down uh, like Jesus used the example in the Sermon on the Mount don't call someone an empty head a fool 
And what that means, it's not so much that you, a person acted foolish and you said he's a fool, <laughs> but when you use the word fool in the wrong way, empty head, what you're doing is you're, you're calling down a person. You're taking the place of judgment as superior and, and saying, you know, that there's so much less. And Jesus said, you're in grave danger when you act that way. So let's remember and be encouraged and be those that take the living word out. Remember the old hymn, tell them over again to me, wonderful words of life. And I just keep remembering that. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we're so thankful that you spoke words of life to us through your Son. That we heard those words, whoever believes will have eternal life and not perish. And Father, we have experienced the transforming nature of your grace and the work of your Holy Spirit. So help us to partner with you in a new way so that with our words and our speech and in our inner attitudes, we will be those that bring healing with our words, that we are creative, that people are glad to be around us and with us. Grant us that gift. And all here today, help us to go home encouraged and not, uh, and not feel just the negative part of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So go to the back, and I think they still have lots of cake. <laughs>